What scares you more, horror movies or Roald Dahl's childhood classics? Welcome to Scaredy Cat Cinema. Hello and welcome to another Scaredy Cat Cinema with me, Vanessa Hammack, and normally Chloe Schlossberg as well, but she is away today. She just started a really exciting new job, Saving the World, which apparently is more important than our pop culture podcast. I mean, excuse me. But I did think one good thing about doing the podcast by myself without Chloe here is that we can talk about Chloe behind her back. So I was wondering what of her secrets that I could tell you. And um, there are two things. One of them is I genuinely think that something might be wrong with her thumbs. I don't know if they're just too large or if she's just got very poor motor skills but she cannot get through a text conversation without accidentally sending regular random emojis and in her new job because of course they're all working remotely I understand that they use whatsapp a lot there are very high up people that she's dealing with and her conversation is regularly peppered with aubergines and unicorns and poorly timed winky faces and the second thing that I wanted to tell you about her is she is obsessed with a particular particular sexual act which she has got it into her head is my signature move and it isn't I've no, I've never even done it and um, it's oh it's a very pleasurable sexual act for whoever does partake in it but I don't do it and Chloe brings it up all the time on the last two podcasts that I recorded with her I had to edit it out about six times across each podcast uh she brought up at my wedding she's brought it up with my mum with my dad and I don't even do it and she's absolutely adamant she's adamant that she's seen me do it which is obviously ridiculous she hasn't seen me do any sexual act but I had this one drunk night in Cardiff and she got this idea in her head and she won't let it go so those are my things about Chloe but on with the podcast so I need to apologize for not releasing a podcast last week I have also just started a new job but that is actually not a very good excuse because it's only a part-time job and um, I think the real reason I'm behind on things is because I went for a spate of being obsessed with advent calendars. There are so many advent calendars in the world. You can get like gin ones, tea ones, pork scratching ones. And I'm just obsessed. And on YouTube, you can watch people open them. They open every single door and it takes like 40 minutes. I've wasted so many hours just watching people opening their advent calendars. So I'm sorry about that, but I am going to make up for it. I've got a special two-part podcast all about witches. As Chloe's away, I've invited two special guests to come and talk to me. This week, I will be speaking to Megan Ford, who you can find on Instagram at That Witch Tarot. And she's going to be talking about the influence of witchcraft movies like The Craft on her as a teenager and the resurgence of witchcraft in the Me Too era. And next week, I'm going to be talking to John Canico James, who's an author, artist and history of the supernatural enthusiast and expert who shared with me so many incredible details about the history of witchcraft. I've got no idea how I'm going to edit it down. So next week's episode might be a bit longer. So of course, all of this was inspired by witch-themed films. This week, I have been watching the recently released uh, Road Dolls the Witches, which you can find on YouTube, Google Play and Amazon Prime for $15.99. Of course, it was supposed to have a cinema release, but that's been hailed by the lockdown. It stars Octavia Spencer as the grandma, Anne Hathaway as the Grand High Witch, and the brilliant Jazir Bruno as the boy, uh, who you might know, like I do, as Luke from the 1990 film Drawing Angelica Houston. But I think in the original book by Road Dahl, the boy character was never named, and that's what they pursued in this film as well. So I did rewatch the original as well, which of course I love because that's the one that I grew up with and Angelica Houston is an absolute queen and icon. 
Um, but I really thought this modern version was good. I really, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very, very similar to the original version. It has been updated to uh, 1960s America, so it's got a phenomenal soundtrack. Um, Octavia Spencer is just brilliant as the grandma. As I said, Josiah Bruno is fantastic as the boy. And of course, it's exactly what you want in an update is to have the two lead roles recast with black actors who do just an absolutely brilliant job. And I have to say, I think Anne Hathaway had a tough job on her hands taking on the part from Angelica Houston, who did such a great job back in 19. And I thought Anne Hathaway was good. You probably will have heard of the uproar around the digital effects in the film. Um, For some reason, I think they were just trying to be super clever and it's really backfired. They made a really strange choice with the witch's hands in that they aren't uh, like claws, which is how they're described in the books. And they aren't just kind of like long, talony fingernails like they are in the 1990 version of the film. They actually have got their fingers missing. And so they really look like hands with missing limbs, which of course is very very problematic and so there's been a big outcry um, because people who do have missing limbs and missing fingers that's challenging and stigmatising enough without a film making a strong association between that condition and being a witch I really think it was such a faux pas and to be honest I don't know why the film uh, company Warner Brothers don't just redo the CGI on the film because it does really look problematic Um, and it takes away from what is actually a really good updated version of the classic movie watching both of the films side by side I I don't think really there's much to be gained from watching both of them Um, I did find the original 1990 version a little bit more haunting with the lovely opening sequences set in Norway so this version is a little bit less chilling but what it lacks there it absolutely makes up for in great performances great soundtrack really fantastic special effects apart from the aforementioned hands and what I really loved about it was they haven't changed the ending of the book which the 1990 film did but this stays a bit truer to the original original book in terms of the ending. I guess the one difference is it's got the addition of one extra mouse. So you've got a female mouse alongside Bruno and the boy who I keep calling Luke, even though it turns out that that's not his name. Um, But yeah, there's really no need to watch both. Pick one or the other because they're very much the same film and they very much do the same job. However, another film which was just released on Friday, the 20th of November. Again, I think it was probably destined for the cinemas, but it has ended up on Prime is The Craft Legacy. Oh my goodness. I recommend this film so much, particularly if you were a fan of the original film The Craft. It was written by Zoe Lister-Jones who I looked her up and she was born the same year as I was so she was obviously a teenager when The Craft was originally released and I think she's done a fantastic job of updating it and reimagining it for a very woke era. Oh it's just such a great film. It's just such a great update. I loved it to pieces. I also rewatched the original Craft which I thought was great. I loved it at the time. Watching it again now, watching it again now, it is quite conventional in that the lead is sort of very pretty and naturally gifted and she inherited it from her mother and there is a bit of a moral message about not getting carried away by your own power which I find kind of problematic when the piece is about young girls learning to be powerful albeit through witchcraft but even tempering the message in that way I don't know it's just a bit predictable like girls you can have power but not too much power this is something that I discussed with Megan later on in the craft legacy they have really picked up on that and the message is reversed so that it really is about the young women seizing their power I don't know if it's just because I'm older now but to me these teenage girls seem much younger and they are just so fantastic each and every one of them it's much more of an 
ensemble piece. Um, so you've got Lovey Simone, Gideon Adlon, Zoe Luna, and Callie Spaney plays Lily, who's the protagonist. But they just seem so much younger and really reminded me of when I was a teenager whereas and they are just such a great little team of friends they are so charming each and every one of them Uh, Zoe Luna is a trans actress so that's referenced in the film and something that they talk about which is again brilliant and Lovey Simone is the only black character in the whole film I think Uh, certainly the only black character in the main four but what's interesting is she acknowledges it at one point she actually says that she wishes that she had more black friends so I think in a way it's the lineup of uh, uh, girls is quite similar to the original film and so they're paying a homage to the original film in that way this is something that they do quite a bit at first I wasn't sure if the film was going to be set in the 90s because they have like a Polaroid camera they're singing along to Alanis Morissette and um, one of the main actors is David Duchovny but it absolutely is a film for 2020 not I mean <laughs> a film for 2019 because of course it doesn't have the pandemic referenced in it but it's very much a film for our time because it's so woke but what they do so cleverly in the film I think is it's woke in the best of ways in that it is very empowering and very inclusive and um really well timed to where politics is at the moment but it's also it makes fun of itself for being woke so you have one character Timmy has a spell put on him which makes him be his highest self i.e makes him be more woke and then there's a lot of fun with the type of dialogue that he's using and it's a real kind of in joke within the film to little moments like the different types of language that the girls use with each other it's very very modern very current slang and it's really um it's almost like a I don't know if it's possible to have a contemporary period piece, but it is like a contemporary period piece in that it's just capturing this moment of now so brilliantly. I would be so much happier, I think, for my own teenage daughter, not that I have one, but if I did, I feel like I'd be so much happier for her to watch this version of The Craft than the original. Because I do think the original, even though it was great and great for the time and really about the outsiders and a film that I loved at the time, some of the messaging was a bit problematic. Even though the message is consciously quite empowering, I think there's a lot of unconscious subtext which it really undermines a more positive message like just the fact that lead is so good looking and that the kind of weird looking girl ends up going too far and being evil whereas this film doesn't have any of that it has all of the friendship it's very much reframes the whole good and evil around the uh, patriarchy it's gripping to the end touching oh i just cared about the characters so much and i just really really would recommend anyone to watch that film the craft legacy uh you can watch it on amazon prime and it's nine. So it is a bit expensive uh, for a rental, but it's cheaper than going to the cinema and it is really worth it. I can't wait to hear what you think. If you watch it, DM me on Instagram at vanessa.hammock and let me know what you think. Okay, so do not be thinking (laughs) that just because Chloe is away that I have given myself the week off and um, I'm not watching any horror films. I did force myself to watch the horror movie The Witch. I have decided to talk about that one more next week because it's more relevant to what John's going to talk about because it's set in the 1600s and that's his area of specialism when it comes to uh, the history of witchcraft. I also forced myself to watch Practical Magic and Bewitched, uh, as well as a really lovely indie film called The Love Witch, which was written and directed by Anna Biller. Um, So quite a selection. One of the things that I found with a lot of the films that I chose to watch, but I don't know if it's because I went with really mainstream ones, but they're surprisingly like not very subversive. But I wonder if that's because the very nature of a witch has too much subversion already in it. Because we've got this real kind of binary 
binary situation with witches and with women of either we're saints, virgins, perfect and mothers and wonderful or we're the complete opposite and we're demons and we're evil and we're sluts and we're seductresses. And so when I was watching these different films, it was hard to find the intrigue or the freshness and the newness within the films because so much of these tropes connected with witches you just see the entire time in any single piece of culture about women and so I think The Love Witch was one of my favourite films because it was just so visual and striking and the writer and director actually worked on this for such a long time it's obviously a real passion project for her Annabella and uh, she's a real feminist and she's taken a really strong kind of woman pleasing uh, angle with the film and it I really enjoyed it and it was quite unlike any of the other films I am going to go to the interview that I did with Megan I really hope you enjoy it I know that this is a bit of a different episode to the Skeddy Cat cinema that I normally do with Chloe but she will be back in a couple of weeks I hope that you enjoy this in the meantime this is my interview with Megan Ford, who you can find on Instagram as That Witch Tarot. I would like to welcome my very special guest, Megan Ford. She is a writer, performer, and tarot reader. Uh, you can follow her on That Witch Tarot on Instagram, and she can be booked for tarot readings through her Instagram. It's a real pleasure to welcome you, Megan. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Vanessa. It's so nice to see you. Um, now, I, I wasn't sure whether to say that you uh, are a witch. I'm not sure. Do you identify as a witch? Yeah, I do. I do, yeah. I think sometimes, depending on my audience, I'll just describe myself as a bit witchy. Or but sometimes I'll be like, yeah, full witch, full witch. Yes, I'm that witch, yeah. <laughs> so, like, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to be a witch? Well, I was thinking about this and there's really, it, it's, a, it's really this broad term that means a lot of different things to different people and different cultures. Um, and I, I was thinking it kind of branches off for me in a couple of different directions in po- both political and spiritual. And then there's also this kind of like pop cultural archetype thing that um, is how I started identifying with witches was the pop culture archetype. Um, and of just sort of powerful women who were maybe a bit evil, but just maybe misunderstood. And But really they were to me more interesting characters than the princesses in the stories when I was a kid. For me, it became more political more recently. I think for a lot of people actually it has. Um, there's actually like f- fully like articles about it actually in the press at the moment about um, you know, they're, they're like Donald Trump hexes that people are doing these like mass things. Um, and I think this reaction of witchcraft lately, post Me Too, post Donald Trump, all that stuff, is this kind of more just wanting to do things in an alternative way, wanting to change the system and do it in a sort of underground, different kind of way of, of modality than this sort of capitalist patriarchy, way, white supremacist way of doing things. Um, and so it's more feminine. I don't think it's just like one specific witch trend. I think there's this sort of like movement that people want a bit of more spiritual vibe politically. There may be control. I wonder if the control is an element of it as well. Yeah, taking your power back, like reclaiming that, and and that like the even just the reclaiming of the word witch, which had been kind of used in 
the sort of Renaissance or medieval times that we think of when we had these witch hunts um, and you're both Europe and in America um, is the pop culture way. We also kind of, or the historical way we think of witch being used negatively and it's starting to become something used to control women a lot. Most of the time. I think people have maybe realized that this like reclaiming words is such a powerful tool. Yeah, absolutely. And and just reclaiming the whole concept of the witch as something that is not just evil, but is powerful. The witch is the outcast in society. She's the, the woman in the fringes of the woods, but she has, there's some power that she has there and people need her. It's funny. Um, well, one thing that actually just occurred to me today is I remember a couple of weeks ago, I think, I think it was a discussion under uh, Sean Fay, um, who, I don't know if you follow her on Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Twitter, and I think J.K. Rowling and some of her followers and supporters have made some references to witchcraft recently and being witches. And I thought that's an interesting thing because obviously um, J.K. Rowling has gone down a particular route in terms of uh, transgender um, support. Well, I mean, she's 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 hardcore transphobic. I mean, she's a screaming screaming turf. <laughs> The identity of a witch. Do you do you feel would you feel concerned to share it with feminists who didn't share the same beliefs as you? That's a good question, you know. I because I don't feel really protective over the term witch. I'm not there's some witches who because I practice both I have a spiritual practice of witchcraft as well as the sort of political, just sort of like I'm a badass woman identity identification of witch mm-hmm. that where we want to sort of reclaim. Um uh, and I don't mind people using either or, like I don't, but a lot of the sort of more spiritual witches get a little bit, you know, concerned about people overusing witch and it becoming sort of watered down term in terms of who's who's identifying as a witch. And then, of course, like you said, there's the who's identifying as a witch. And of course, well, if I'm going to say that men, women, non-binary people can identify, anyone can identify as a witch, um, then, uh, of course... J.K. Rowling and her transphobe followers can identify as witches. And, like, you know, I'm more concerned with actually them trying to share the title of feminism with me than sharing the title right. of our feminist with me rather than the title of witch. I suppose witch has already got the polarity built into it, hasn't it? Like, it's very established to have good witches and bad yeah, witches. Yeah, exactly. That's part of the form. Yeah, so. and there's, there's, witch, there's witchcraft in every kind of culture and in so many different forms than we generally think of today when we think of when we're, when we're kind of talking about the, the modern idea of a witch. What I think I've always loved about astrology is um, that you have 12 archetypes mm. that you're working with, or I don't know, is it 13 now? Um, and I thought that's so interesting to stop kind of divide, dividing society into men or women or different races, but to actually have a, a spectrum of 12 different options, it just seems to... Um, offers so much opportunity to move away from being binary and to stop polarizing and separating. Yeah, the sort of things between the binaries, all the different elements that could exist within that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I really like about the, for me, that the spiritual side of witchcraft has opened up to me and that tarot has opened up for me because tarot is so much about your sort of internal journey and your personal kind of guidance for yourself. Um, And it also has archetypes and different messages within it but that there's sort of shadow and light within it and that it's Mm. it's uh there's so many messages 
within it that exist outside the binary of just yes or no. In fact, the tarot doesn't answer yes or no questions. Like it's not that simple. And when you're doing a tarot reading for someone, is um, is your interpretation quite important? And are you quite mindful of how the person's going to receive what you're telling them? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I, because I've really only been reading professionally for others for a couple of years, and I'm still learning and understanding that side of really holding space for another human being who this is might be going through something. And I imagine that the majority of people who come to you probably are grappling with a particular problem or issue or challenging time. Yeah, often it's a spe- it's either a, it's either a specific question or it's a very broad like I actually don't know what I'm doing with myself and I'm kind of stuck. You know, that's mm. another one which I can relate to a lot, <laughs> especially during a pandemic. And what do you think it is that makes yeah, we can all relate <laughs> to that, especially in 2020. Yeah, yeah, that's what a lot of the readings this year have been about. <laughs> Yeah. Hi, Megan. Can you do some tarot and tell me when there will be a vaccine? (laughs) (laughs) And what do you think it is that make tarot work? I think intuition is a big part of it. I think there's also this kind of universality in so many of the messages in the cards that really almost anyone that you pull is going to have a relevant message for you. It's just you figuring out how to how you connect those dots, like what's in between those dots is kind of where the magic lies for me. That's really interesting. I love that idea of the universality. Do you think that's an important principle that underpins a lot of practices in witchcraft? Yeah, that's actually a beautiful way to think of it. I haven't thought of it like that. But because um, I've been talking with friends from, you know, different cultures who practice witchcraft in different ways. And so we talk a lot in modern witchcraft sphere about cultural appropriation too. And so there's like the universality But then there's also trying to be conscious of sort of not using someone else's culture or practices in a way that's insensitive or stealing. But there's definitely a universality. And it's and it's really when you zoom out, because I grew up uh, raised uh, Jewish and we we practiced a lot. And so many I'm really connecting to my Jewish spirituality more now since becoming a, a witch or becoming more involved in witchcraft uh, than when I was growing up, really, because I'm really understanding the rituals that we were doing and the traditions and why they're making more sense to me now. Oh, wow. That sounds like a really enriching process to be going through. Yeah, it's really cool. And that's what's what I like about the witchcraft that I kind of practice is basically what they kind of call eclectic witchcraft is it's kind of a build your own practice. And so I like I said, I'm doing it consciously not using other cultures. I'm just I'm just using my own cultures. And so I'm like sort of using what's accessible to me, which is a kind of European Anglo European, this kind of Wiccan, let's, you know, connect to the earth and the elements and all that stuff, which I love and lots of candles and incense, you know, and then and there's definitely like the Jewish side, which of course also has symbols and rituals and lots of candles. <laughs> Are you able to tell us something that's one of your favorite things from Judaism that you've been reconnecting with? I mean, one thing is like uh, the elements of water is a big thing and people often use a cup of water on their uh, uh, altars. I use uh, my Kiddush cup, which is a Jewish sort of ju- piece of Judaica, Jewish uh, ritual piece. Um, and one thing I started incorporating though recently was the spice box, which we use on Havdalah, which is Saturday night when the Sabbath ends. It's just this really nice little box that you fill with spices. So I have mine with like coffee beans and cloves. It smells really nice. And you smell it uh, at the end of the, on a Saturday night to like welcome the new week to sort of wish for a sweet week ahead and the, you know, the sweet smells. 
Um, which is just so funny to me because I like that's such a witchy thing to do, mm. but that's a Jewish tradition that I grew up with. Well, wow, that's that's so lovely. And I imagine when you when you touch on cultural appropriation, I can imagine that that's probably been quite a rife topic within the the witchcraft world. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I mean, and I'm not an expert, and I'm still learning. So African American hoodoo, which is like kind of when and and voodoo which is or i think it's pronounced voodoo which is like where in haiti where it comes from again i don't know all of them there's so many the the point is it's so diverse and there's so much rich cultural history to all of these things Mm. that like i can't understand all, all of them but they definitely i think have had um a lot of misunderstanding about what their practices are um and a lot of people Mm. misusing those practices is there anything that you um began doing when you were first coming into witchcraft that you've since abandoned because you feel like oh actually that's from a different culture and it's it's not quite right for me to be doing it probably there's probably a couple things I'm not even like remembering there's there's little things that I'm also trying to phase out like um a big thing in America is uh sage like burning sage uh specifically this particular type of sage because burning herbs is used in like loads of different cultures but uh it's this particular type of white sage that the uh like indigenous native american people use that um is really popular and it's one of those ones that and people use everywhere and we've been told like can you please not use that it's like disrespectful and everything so with those kind of things where i'm like okay i'm not gonna buy that anymore i'm not gonna you know that's and also there's other herbs i can use and that it's it's difficult work to look back at those things, but that's why I mm. think there's such a, a combination with witchcraft between the political and the spiritual, because a lot of the healing that we want to do for the world with our spiritual witchcraft um, is a political healing. Yeah, yeah, it's actually a really good opportunity to maybe enrich your understanding of your own kind of inherited culture and the culture that you've grown up in and really explore it and maybe uncover some things that have been forgotten. Oh, totally. And for me, what I'm interested in starting uh, doing more of is ancestor work, which is also along those lines of like looking into your own personal ancestors and what we can learn from. And especially right now as white people, how we can heal from the mistakes and the things that our ancestors did and the mistakes that we're still making. Um, but so when when did you first get into witchcraft? Was it, were you, was it something you were into as a teenager? Yeah, so I was into it as a teenager. I mean, of course, so as I said, as a little kid, I was obsessed with the witches in Disney movies and in uh, Bewitched, Samantha Stevens. And I remember specifically her mother and Dora was the one I really wanted to be because she could make mm. stuff happen. She didn't even have to wiggle her nose. She could just like wave her hand and like make, she was more powerful basically. And I was like, that's the one I want to be. <laughs> um, I just was so into the power of just being able to just snap your fingers and make stuff happen. So that when I was a teenager and the craft came out, that was like the huge transformative thing. I think for so many teenage girls in the nineties, like we all just started our own little covens after that. So like I went to the bookstore and I bought the witchcraft book and then it was all like 
these spells I didn't really understand and like you had to get like use two white candles and like a, a you know a teaspoon of wolfsbane I was like how am I, what's wolfsbane where are you gonna get that like I didn't know what anything <laughs> was so like my but my girlfriends and I would like I had two friends we were like the three of us were our little coven and we would like get together and we would just light candles and so much like candles and incense that like you it was, like couldn't see in my bedroom it was just and then like <laughs> and I don't know what we would do just like chant things I I don't remember I don't remember like the exact specifics but that was like definitely inspired by the craft which was just that was an awesome movie just seeing these women come together these young women and they they were really relatable with real problems like real issues that they were going through with like mm. se- you know slut shaming and sexism at school racism um on the swim team you know, uh, upsetting home life, like all these real problems and then using witchcraft to solve them and having these powers and being able to, I also just like loved being the thought of being able to just like, like change my hair color in a second. (laughs) Like I was like, that's the coolest Mm. thing. I want to do that. So that was when I started like dabbling with like trying to actually do witchcraft, but then I sort of put it away for a while. And then it was really in this sort of 2017, the year where like everything kind of (laughs) went down with Trump and me too. And I had personal stuff going on too that all just kind of led me to initially want to write about the idea of using witchcraft politically, like it is a sort of like female anger, you know, as revenge, which we also see in the craft. And we see in a lot of witchcraft movies actually is is like women using witchcraft Mm. as revenge on men. And so I was, that kind of got me researching witchcraft again. And that's what got me back into stuff and into tarot and all this stuff where I was like, well, actually, this really clicks with me spiritually. I'm going to get back into this. And it's quite it's quite a different approach to just reading about it and studying it. Like you could have gone down a much more academic route or a historian route, but you actually really wanted to practice it. Yeah, I think it was just it's something connected to that adolescent in me that just wanted to believe in the magic I think (laughs) I think Mm. it was that it was the especially with tarot and divination which is the kind of stuff that I like to do witchcraft has so many different practices too I mean you could get into doing herbs and potions and that stuff and uh, I mean there's a million other things but for me tarot is my favorite thing and I think it was just because like I said there is kind of sometimes a little bit of magic in tarot there is sometimes those little there's also those crazy coincidences where the same card comes up keeps coming up and things like that where it's just and the, and the art is so beautiful you feel just kind of connected to something I don't know it's it's hard to explain I would you would you draw the line at saying that you do believe in magic or do you I I do believe in magic I think we all define magic differently and my definition is kind of you know changing so I could say that like magic is just like in coincidence or magic is just in you know you get an extra bag of chips in your lunch order or something you know what I mean like there's those little things but I do if you're talking about like I do think that there are witches who perform spells and curses and hexes and stuff that really do work mm, you know mm. for on other on other people on things I don't I haven't done that kind of thing my witchcraft is more of a personal spiritual thing like if I do a, a spell or a ritual it's more for my own personal well personal well-being or something um I'm not gonna try I haven't tried yet to uh manipulate outside events or anything and I think she says it in the love witch about witchcraft is just using your will to get what you want and I do think there is something to intention and putting a, a lot of intention into something and and building a result from that but in terms of like 
these hexes where like someone cuts a chicken's head off and then this uh, politician has a heart attack in in the next county. I don't know how that works. (laughs) Megan just touched on uh, The Love Witch, which is a 2016 film. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's um, actually set in the modern day, but it's all shot to look like a very 60s aesthetic. uh, And it's very heavily inspired by uh, occult images and images from tarot. But how did you come across The Love Witch? Megan? Uh, I think when I was in my sort of resurgence getting back into witchcraft in 2017, must have come across it online and watched it. I Every time I watch it, I get something completely new from it. I, dis- I look, dissect it from a different angle. I mean, it is absolutely visually stunning. Uh, I Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. And so I just recommend, and it's quite funny and camp in ways that I discover differently each time too. The lead character is quite um, reminiscent of Megan because she's got lovely long dark hair and this kind of traditional but quite 60s witchy aesthetic and she's just gorgeous isn't she yeah she's 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 really glamorous I mean I don't know I have a lot of different aesthetics I'm into but that sort of 60s feminine like dark hair yeah gorgeous absolutely gorgeous the director who wrote it produced it and directed it and she's a real feminist film director and she um said I that she really wanted to make the film very very visual and that she feels that women often really connect to very visual films and I really appreciated that when she did her strip tease, it wasn't that sexy. Like she, it was very fast, very fun. You know, she peels off a black dress and the inside is rainbow stripe. And then the man is bedazzled by the rainbow stripes. And I thought it's such a break from, you know, what it could have been like really like pouring over her body. Yeah, that's really cool. And that's when you really can notice the difference between what they call the male gaze and the female gaze. Yes. uh, You know, of the female body. And I thought the lead actress, I thought for quite a strange part in quite a strange film. I thought she just did the most perfect job. She did and I and I think what's what's fun about The Love Witch and I'm gonna because I'm pres- presuming a lot of people listening won't have seen it because it's kind of a weird kind of cult one that not people know about but it sort of in- the acting is kind of intentionally bad in places. Mm. I think it's supposed to be like a B movie mm-hmm. from the 70s. I think it's interesting the way that the, the layers of her performance considering <laughs> yeah. the brief. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it is a pastiche and it is, it is a kind of homage to these B-movies. And yet it wasn't so much of a comedy or as a parody as I thought it was going to be. I thought, no, you, you've got a topic that you want to explore, but I definitely felt the aesthetic was as important to the director as the, the content and as the story. You can tell that if she's not a practicing witch herself, that she's definitely dabbled or is invested in sort of representing real witchcraft. And the visuals are part of that. There is kind of sometimes an an aesthetic to witchcraft. Well, you've spoken about the tarot. Would it be the tarot deck that's the biggest draw for you? Or are there other elements that you've also just been really drawn to on a purely visual or sensual level? One thing I noticed, and this is not going to be true of everyone because everyone has a different relationship to femininity. But for me, I actually am quite into my femininity, but had kind of repressed it for a while, I think, because I was on a track within feminism that I feel like I had to reject it. And I had to kind of sort of go, oh, no, well, the the patriarchy wants feminine girls, then I need to be a little bit more androgynous or something. I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe this feeling that you're not taken seriously when you're a feminine person, but then getting back into witchcraft kind of showed me this combination of like femininity and power, you know, that witches have. Mm, It's interesting with, um, like, you mentioned the craft earlier and then also you've got Mm. Sabrina the teenage witch uh, both the version that was on when we were younger and then there's the reboot which is Mm -hmm. on Netflix um 
that's definitely quite a strong uh, area of linking uh, witchcraft to um, puberty and I guess mm. becoming a woman and becoming a witch at the same time. Yeah, and there's a lot in, and I I don't know which exactly, which practice of witchcraft it is, but I know it's, I think, a big part of Wiccan practice is this triptych of the, the maiden mother crone, which are the sort of cycles of womanhood or the sort of three aspects of womanhood they talk about. So it makes sense that there's a kind of coming of age maiden sort mm. of story there. And then, of course, we see the crone all the time as the, the witch that we often see. And then there's this really great book called Jailbreaking the God by a writer who uh, proposes a five goddess model with uh, other aspects of uh, a woman's life built in that kind of takes it a little bit away from the sort of childbearing aspect of the motherhood mm. and which so that it's not doesn't even have to really be about gender. Have you seen that there was a horror film a few years ago called The Witch? Yeah, The Vivitch. As I like to call it. Uh, the Vitch. The Vitch. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Yeah, I saw that. It's <laughs> but with two. Yeah. The Vivitch. <laughs> I just I just watched it recently for the first time. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really interesting. Quite, I found it quite bleak, uh, and I found the witches were light relief. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it's true. It, it is bleak, and I think maybe that was a little bit of the, the point. Maybe that like the, the the life with the witches seemed a lot more enticing than the life with her family. But on, on the other end of the scale, so today I did watch Practical Magic because you recommended that yes, to me. Yes, that's <laughs> that's another one of my childhood favorites. Yeah. And you said it's a film that you go back to again and again. Yes, it's sort of a comfort film for me. I think the world of it is so comforting. It's very much this, like, 90s, like, very, like, obviously, like, admittedly, like, rich white world of, like, but, you know, like, luxury uh, fantasy of this, like, New England with these big houses and this idea of this sort of romantic town where these witches have lived and you have the old aunts who live in this big house and it just was so magical as a kid to imagine going to that house and playing there and, you know, the, the kind of magic they do where it's one of those you just sort of, like, look at a candle and it lights, you know, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, very beautiful. And then, of course, it really um, ends up being about sisterhood and sisterly support in the literal sense yeah. uh, between the two sisters, but also in the wider community and women coming together yeah. and supporting each other, which is, I did find it very heartwarming by the end. Absolutely. They realised when they needed to fight the demons, they had to get those J.K. Rowling turfs with them in the coven to help because <laughs> we needed, we all of us need each other. That, that was also another example of, it's also this story of as I think with the love witch and we see themes of this in the craft of like women dealing with like abusive men or trying to escape abusive relationships and mm. using witchcraft to defend themselves yeah there's definitely in a few of the films that I've watched the men behave so reprehensibly that even if your lead character is a murderer or you know has killed a couple <laughs> of people in spells you, you often do definitely in the love witch and in practical magic you come away thinking well alright they killed one man but look at all the damage the men have caused yeah exactly like, like they're, they're, you're more than... they're justified they're justified in their reaction yeah. yeah the other of course big role that witches play is um in terrifying young children mm. uh which is maybe something that hasn't been so much on your radar in the explorations that you've you've done through witchcraft especially as you you as a child were quite drawn yeah to the scary i was witch. drawn to them you know and it's interesting thinking about i was into scary stuff too though like i was reading rl stein and christopher pike books and stuff so i was into the scary and 
wanting to, like the idea of being scary seemed cool to me, you know? Mm. So I was thinking too about um, Angelica Houston in The Witches, uh, Mm. who was terrifying, absolutely terrifying, even before she took her witch drag off, you Mm. know? Mm. Like, so like when she's just herself, she's just has a terrifying presence about her. And so I think does Feruza Balk in The Craft. She's she's like terrifyingly scary. The other thing that I loved about The Craft was the relationship between the four girls, which was so intense, um, so wonderful and so awful, like the power that they all had over uh, the lead. For me, that was something that I really related to and I really felt that is what it is to be a teenage girl. Did you recognise any of your teenage friendships? Well, oh yeah, definitely. I think often there's a dominant friend who can control the way the the group goes Mm -hmm. and there's tension there. So I think I could relate to that, but also just relating to the idea of these girls finding each other that these that they were the outcasts and they found each other and that also that there's these three and they found their fourth you know and 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 coming mm-hmm. together as a group and yearning for community and connection with other young women when you're a girl I think that is so appealing about the craft is like it's not just look what I can do on my own it's like I've got my little posse here mm, it was a very cool film like I actually thought watching it again I thought it stood the test of time quite well and I'd be happy for m- my own teenage daughter to watch it I think you know the lessons of being outsiders and I mean it's quite moral actually isn't it our, our lead uh, witch who is naturally gifted but she very much practices and preaches moderation and that's definitely something that's that's reinforced by the other three witches go slightly further and then are punished for it. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting point. Like in all of the films we've, almost all of the films we've talked about, I was thinking about. Um, But then I wonder if this is also just dramatic tension for movies. I don't know if this is a moral thing, but the witchcraft goes a bit wrong or they've 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 gone too far with it in some way and that's also maybe part of the message. It is, yeah. And it's an interesting, it does make you wonder how to receive that message when you have started talking about witchcraft and its relation to just womanhood and um, feminism. Because I wonder, you know, is that quite an innate thing that women are taught that we can be powerful, we can be powerful, but not too powerful. Yeah. Like you've still got to be the decent woman and like you can't be number one, but you can be number two. Yeah. And that's that's why Bewitched is also an interesting one to look at because even when I go back to look at it, in my memory, it was about this powerful witch, but Actually, the tension of the entire premise is that she's constantly having to hide being a witch because her Mm. husband is embarrassed by it and doesn't want her to practice magic. What I think I love about these really traditional modes of storytelling is I think they are able to hold so much truth that if you really made explicit and if you made Bewitched, you know, about a a slightly oppressed 1960s woman, I don't think it would be so relatable, but I think everyone can kind of look at someone who's secretly a witch and admire her and envy her and kind of relate to that tussle of her having to fit in and blend in and keep her real gifts a secret. It makes it more universal somehow. Yeah, I like that. Okay, well, there we have it. Um, thank you so much, Megan. I really, really appreciate you joining. Well, I normally say us because normally it's me and Chloe, but I appreciate you joining me today. Okay. Thank you for having me. That was the Scaredy Cats podcast. Follow them on Anchor, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.